Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 46. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Today's guest is Jacob Ha. He is the managing partner and co-founder of Community Investment Management. Now, they are an impact investing firm focused uh, on the marketplace lending space. So we've never really talked about impact investing on the show or really much at all on, on uh, Lend Academy. And it's something that I, I believe in personally and I think it could become a much more important part of this industry. So Jacob shares his views on impact investing and how his company is investing in the space with that as their primary focus. It's a fascinating interview and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Great. Thank you, Peter. Excited to be here. So why don't we get started with giving people a bit of background about yourself. I know you've got a, a not as typical background with people I have on, on the podcast. And so just tell, tell people about your journey and how you came really to this industry. Sure, absolutely. I think you know I have a, a background in emerging markets investment and particularly the focus on financial inclusion which essentially is a serving borrowers who lack access to affordable financial services because they're underserved by, by banks and, and typically are using informal financial services. So I spent a number of years in Asia, the Middle East, and the Caucasus working on the ground. I worked for a microfinance institution that Save the Children ran uh, where we actually made loans to Azari entrepreneurs who many in many cases were refugees and the loan started at $60 and were able to build a very successful business with a low default rate uh, with that population. And in the years that followed, my partner at CIM, my co-consent and I, started uh, about 10 years ago a microfinance and small business investment fund that focused on emerging markets called Midlong Asset Management and invested in about 35 different countries uh, and over 50 specialty financial institutions that all served small businesses through some type of innovative approach. And so it's been really the growth of, of CIM and the work that we do in the United States was an outgrowth of, of that path of seeing financial inclusion work abroad. Okay. So then where did you, you know, you came looking at this country you obviously there's plenty of people that don't that aren't included in uh you know in financial services in general so you you know rather than decide you you decided to start something focused on small business why why do small business why do it in in this particular industry sure i think you know all, for for years when we were investing in emerging markets that ranged from places like mongolia sri lanka tanzania colombia working with financial institutions that ultimately we're trying to innovate to figure out how do we better serve a borrower that lacks access because they're thinking about it from the perspective of as a lender, what I need, as opposed to as a borrow, as a, what does my borrower population have? And so that involves really slight innovations such as group lending or taking a woman from a local community, putting her on a motorbike and sending her out to an open air market so that she can interact with folks. And 
there are very similar needs here in the United States, but for different reasons. Not because formal financial services haven't extended to small businesses in, in the United States, but because the decline of community banks and the inability of small businesses to receive bank financing for both structural and, and also cyclical reasons, there is a significant opportunity between the short-term predatory moneylenders and the banks where we have quite a bit of opportunity for small businesses to borrow at rates where they can productively produce. And I think our, our impact investment perspective is one where we see that there are opportunities to take innovation and be able to provide productive borrower-focused capital. And in, in the United States, there's quite a bit of, of opportunity, we think, through the technology-enabled lenders that are, are essentially taking uh, more transparent, efficient models to the problem that banks and short-term predatory lenders we don't think are solving. So is that why is that what attracted you to this space? Obviously, you've been in microfinance. You you've probably been exposed, you know, to peer to peer type products, you know, for a while. But is it was it the uh, the sort of the the transparency, the technology piece that drew you into you know, marketplace lending? Yeah, I think we see a lot of innovation occurring in this in this sector. It's really a, a laboratory of innovation in marketplace lending, and. I think there's, especially now with what's happening in fintech, quite a bit of resources, great minds looking at the problem. And you know, certainly consumer peer-to-peer was something that you know, I personally invested in you know, five years ago and, and had been following. But because we've spent so much time over the last 10 years thinking and investing in financial institutions that look at how to fund small businesses so that they can productively use that capital to create jobs and grow, that has been a real focus of ours and thinking about how marketplace lending and technology-enabled lending can improve that process for all the different parties who are involved, both borrowers and investors. Okay, so so your company, CIM, you go, you go to your homepage and it says, CIM is an impact investment firm focused on marketplace lending. So what do you mean exactly when you say impact? Sure. Well, impact investing is a relatively young term. It, it's been around for about six years, but it refers to something that folks have been doing for a long time, uh, which essentially is intentional investing, which is designed to generate social and or environmental impact alongside of financial return. And what I referred to about nine years ago was the formation of the Global Impact Investing Network which was an initiative of the Rockefeller Foundation that brought together a number of different stakeholders who were actually doing this type of investment and put a community and a vocabulary and a set of research around that. And these are generally investments that focus on sustainable agriculture, affordable housing, uh, affordable and accessible healthcare, clean technology, and of course, financial services, which is where our focus has been. And it involves intentionality. It involves investing with a return expectation, so it's not charity. That said, those returns can range from very subsidized to fully market-based, which is where we fall on the fully market-based end of things. And it also involves a commitment to measure and report on the social and or environmental progress and performance of those underlying investments. So 
understand how you are achieving those outcomes driven through data. Okay, so I could hear hear people thinking, well, how is this going to work in marketplace lending for small business? And I know that you know you, you've you know, you've said publicly publicly that you are investing in lending club loans. I think you also said funding circle. Just just let's just take those two for example, and they obviously provide small business lending to a range of industries, a range of different companies, some which will be decidedly non-impact and some that would be definitely would fit into your criteria. So how do you take your your ideals and what like how do you approach these online platforms and sort of overlay your filter your impact filter shall we say? How do you do that? Sure, absolutely. We look at impact in a number of different ways within the portfolio. I would say the first tenant of what we do is really partnering with responsible and transparent lenders. And you mentioned Lending Club and Funding Circle, two of our partners that fit right within that. And all of our partners really fit within that. And that, that's our investment universe. So the way that we look at that is essentially, you know, there's a quite a number of different actors in the marketplace lending sector. And some that we think have a long, longer term approach and some that we think have a shorter term approach. And so just like a oil and gas fund will focus on oil and gas companies, we focus on those transparent and responsible lenders who ultimately are building their businesses and are offering investors the ability to benefit because of the borrower's underlying benefit and success over a long-term period. And so that's the, the first layer into our, our investment process is a screening to say, you know, who we'll partner with and who we'll invest with and, and who doesn't necessarily meet that criteria. Then once we go through that screen, there is a really a fully commercial market-based selection structuring uh, risk assessment process where we look at our, our partners and their portfolios to try to create the best risk-adjusted outcome for our clients. And we're not screening out certain types of loans based on the fact that they're not meeting our criteria other than a set of IFC World Bank uh, exclusion list where we exclude certain types of businesses such as guns or tobacco, et cetera. But that's, that's a relatively narrow list. I mean, the focus is on supporting small businesses with responsible and transparent products because they play such an important role in our economy. I mean, since 95, they've created two-thirds of all new jobs in the United States. They employ half the private sector workforce, and they account for 50% of non-farm gross GDP. I mean, they're an, an important and underserved part of our economy. And so see, we see a lot of impact around supporting small businesses in America, and particularly supporting them with responsible and transparent products so that they can be empowered to make good financial decisions and ultimately grow and hire and create quite a bit of value within communities and society as a whole. Okay, so it sounds like like your first criteria is the you know the platform has to have you know what, what like like you know be transparent and have good uh, good practices. So can you be a bit more specific there? Like what would exclude a platform from consideration? And, uh, and are there some that are like on the cusp that, that may need to change one or two things? I mean, can you just go into a, you know, a little bit more detail about how, or particularly how you rule out platforms that, that will not, you will not invest with? Sure. I, I mean, I think 
ultimately it comes down to this assessment and to is this a value extraction or a value creation proposition, the, the underlying business model. So part of that is looking at, at interest rate and, and how high interest rate. I mean, we see in the alternative lending universe interest rates that, you know, greater than 150% APRs in certain cases. We, you know, we don't necessarily see that as a sustainable way for a small business to fund itself and, and be able to have a positive return once they've paid the cost of that capital after making their investment. But it, it, it also approaches to really transparency. And I think specifically the two platforms you've mentioned, Funding Circle and Lending Club, I mean, that is a core tenant of their business. I think that, you know, if you, if you were to boil down Lending Club and Funding Circle to one word, transparency is probably the best word that would fit there. Part of that is because they've done that through a marketplace approach. But that's essential for borrowers to be able to understand the cost. So obfuscation of terms and hidden fees, those are things that we don't look at as fitting within the partners that, that we work with. And, and that's really been summarized by an initiative that we've been involved with called the Small Business Borrowers Bill of Rights that came out recently that we were the first investor to endorse and have taken the leadership position in, where you know, you're looking at six basic principles, the right to transparent pricing and terms, the right to non-abusive products, the right to responsible underwriting, the right to fair treatment from brokers, the right to inclusive credit access, and the right to fair collection practices. And I would say you know, all of the partners that we work with have signed on to that, and that's the best indication of the, the types of practices that we think are important to be part of the impact investing mandate that we have with our fund. Okay, so uh, that makes sense to me, but obviously there's a gray area there and if you know if we had uh we we talked to you know some of the companies out there that charge higher interest rates they would argue that they that this you know the interest rate by itself is not you know it can still be a win-win 150% APR may be a bit extreme but say someone's paying a 50% APR and that could end up act- there's no there's no reason to say that that is definitely going to be a, a a lose. It's not a good decision for the business owner. I don't think you can say that because there's plenty of business owners that would be willing to pay a fifty percent APR to win a hundred thousand dollar contract. That you know they they need a twenty thousand dollar loan to really get that hundred thousand dollar contract. And if they pay you know if they pay like five thousand dollars over six months. That's a really good decision for them. So is it, is it beyond interest rate and it's more about just transparency of, uh, you know, and being clear about how the, the, the terms are laid out to the borrower? Is that, or is interest rate really you feel like there is a cutoff and we can't go above, you know, a certain APR? Sure. I mean, we both is the short answer to your question. I mean, I think, <laughs> but, but your point, yeah, yes, there is a certain level of transparency that is required because if a borrower has no other opportunities for financing and they have a project that they need funding for and they understand the terms related to that 50% APR, I mean, in in global microfinance, we see rates range from 15% of the low end to up to 100% rates all Mm -hmm. over the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a pure interest rate question to, to your point, it, it is ultimately the ability and the empowerment of the borrower to understand the cost. Right. Most of the time, from what I've seen, when a borrower is paying 50%, they don't actually know that they're paying 50%. They don't, 
they think that they're paying less yep. because of hidden fees, because it's quoted as a payback rate and it's not quoted, you know, where, where ultimately the percentage that has to be returned on capital is intuitive. It's understood. But time value of money is, is not particularly well understood, mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to products where there might be variability of the payment schedule. So it's actually difficult to determine how quickly you will be paying back that money. But if you look at it on a portfolio basis of those lenders, you do see very high, you do see very high APRs that might not be indicative of the underlying risk. Right. And so I, I, think, I think what it's ultimately about is empowering through transparency borrowers to make decisions so that they can compare apples to apples. I have three loan options in front of me. What, what is challenging, I think, is what we've seen quite a bit of are borrowers who might choose a more expensive loan thinking it is less expensive. And right. that ultimately is, is what we need to do by creating a transparent marketplace so that borrowers can make the decision as to what is the best product for me with my needs. And mm-hmm. there are cases, of course, where you know, expediency of, of getting the financing may be worth additional cost but the borrower has to have the right information in front of them to make that decision. Right. Yep. No, that, that, that all makes sense. That'll make sense. Okay. So moving along, I just, I want to get, can you tell us like when you, when your fund launched and, and the, the size of your fund today? Sure. So we started community investment management as an outgrowth of our, the emerging market work we were doing, as I mentioned previously. And we started in 2012, but I started focusing full-time on it about two years ago in the fall of 2013. And we started investing shortly thereafter, so almost, almost two years ago. And we, we, we've been very fortunate to have a great community of investors, many of whom we've been working with for you know, 10 years through various different projects and, and products that are, are focused on both impact outcomes and the long-term business model that we have, but also on achieving great risk-adjusted returns. Ultimately, because of SEC rules, I can't discuss specifics around the investment products, but you know, we have made a very public commitment out there that you know, with our investors, we're committing to fund $300 million into marketplace lending through small business loans over the next couple of years. Right. Now, I want to talk about that, actually. You came out here to Denver, actually, for the Clinton Global Initiative. And you know, I know that, that, that announcement was made in conjunction with that event. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, why you did it there and, and just what, what you actually are committing to? Sure. So our investors and our firm have, have made this commitment that we will be funding $300 million in responsible and transparent loans to small businesses in the United States over the next two years. We've done that with the Clinton Global Initiative, which is a a terrific venue to look at how we solve some of the world's greatest problems and with Clinton Global Initiative, America's greatest problems through corporate action and commitment. And we we made that announcement with Lending Club, actually, Mm -hmm. who you know, announced also alongside us that out of that $300 million commitment, we were going to fund $75 million in the years to come through working with them on their responsible and transparent small business loan portfolio. And when we look at who we're going to be funding, we've estimated that that will go to just under 10,000 borrowers, about 9,500 borrowers. And we expect more than half of those borrowers to be minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, and military veteran-owned businesses. 
that actually today make up 54% of our portfolio. Okay. So then you've talked about Lending Club a bit. We talked about Funding Circle. Are there other platforms or what other platforms are you are you investing in? What can, what, what can you tell us publicly that uh, where you're deploying this capital? Sure. So today we invest with four platforms, uh, soon to be five. And we, in addition to Lending Club and Funding Circle, we work closely with Street Chairs, uh, which has a focus on military veterans mm-hmm. and which is an, an underserved segment of the small business population. They are, they're 9% of the small business owners in the United States. And that's a, they're a great organization. Mark Rockefeller and Mickey Compton over there have been building a very borrower-focused, highly impactful mission-based lender. And I encourage listeners to, to take a look at them. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of Mark and his team there. I, I, I'm also an investor. You know, they, they take, uh, you know, they have, they have fractional loans, a fractional marketplace, and I'm, I've been an investor there for, God, I think about a year now, uh, something like that. But I, I'm, I think they're doing, they are doing great work. Yeah, absolutely. And and then the fourth platform that we work with is DealStruck. And again, Ethan and Zalman and, and the team there are are just fantastic. And and they have, you know, a real education based approach so that borrowers that may be paying more for capital without knowing it can get great products that ultimately work within the, the assets that they have. And I think they're, you know, so we have four terrific partners, all that cover the market in a little bit of a different segment with different mm-hmm. approaches. And those platforms are, we think, you know, are, are the best out there. And we're adding some other, some other players to that over the years to come. So what, what's your goal? Are you hoping to get to like 10 platforms or, or just gonna, you're just going to keep expanding as, as people or as, as the platforms kind of grow and develop? You know, there, it's, it's been incredible to see the growth in the industry, and we've we've tracked over a hundred and forty different small business lending platforms. Okay, um, and it feels like there's a new one every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the great thing is there's a laboratory of innovation, you know, but there's a lot of risk out there, and it's it's I think difficult to identify the leading platforms that have a unique approach and advantage in their business model that we think also is important for providing services to small businesses, but also has the management team and expertise that's gone through multiple credit cycles to execute on that. So we certainly were deepening relationships with the current platforms and some that we're adding. I think as part of the 300 million that we're allocating over the next two years, we foresee probably seven platforms being a part of that at the at the max. Okay. Uh, maybe five, five to six would be probably more the baseline assumption. Right. Okay. So you know, you talked about your investors earlier, and I just want to you know just focus on on this for a little bit. Where you know your investors, obviously, they you said most of them are uh, they want the the social impact of their investment. But they also want a good return, and I'm just curious, like when you're when you're talking with your investors, and yet there's a lot been a lot of there's been a lot written of the risks of investing in this in this industry, and particularly given the fact that none of these platforms themselves, like some of the people who work at them, but none of the platforms themselves have been through a full credit cycle. So how do you what do you tell your investors so that they're they can get comfortable with the fact that this isn't doesn't have a long track record. Sure, I think you know in, in terms of understanding both the social impact and 
the financial return aspect. It's interesting. Actually, the, the Cambridge Associates and the Global uh, Impact Investing Network did a study recently showing that the impact funds have, from 98 to 2004, actually have outperformed some of the conventional funds. So, so I think there perhaps is somewhat of an assumption that a focus on impact can hamper returns where in fact, and this has been our experience, that we see it actually as a value add to increase returns and actually focus on the best long-term partnerships because it's a truly win-win proposition. It's essentially focusing on those platforms that are aligned with the interests of their borrowers so that you're not going down the road of the subprime housing crisis where ultimately you're making loans to people who can't afford it, but you're really working on the right sizing and alignment of that. So, so with our investors and looking at, at the young age of the platforms, I mean, I, I think ultimately we see quite a bit of risk out there. And we think that, you know, out of those 140 platforms that I mentioned, you know, we will see a number of problems with the changing credit cycle. There's, there's, you know, too many businesses, not with enough differentiation and perhaps not with the, the right teams to, to manage that. So ultimately, it's a focus on having the right partnerships with groups that really do think about managing quality. I think, you know, the approach where you're thinking short term to have a certain amount of losses, but where you're charging enough that you'll be fine during a, a crisis where you see arrears rise, you'll see significant arrears in those portfolios, whereas the lenders that we work with have a bit higher quality portfolios because they're ultimately working with borrowers that they think can benefit from a more affordable and long-term capital source. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now that makes sense to me. So I just want to get your feedback on something that I, I, I was just reading over lunch today. There was a, a really interesting article about a survey of banks and the article basically was saying, or the survey said that 68% of banks believe partnering with a, a non-bank lender will be the best way to revive their commercial lending businesses. And, you know, obviously, you know, we know that banks have, you know, they've pulled out of small business lending in, uh, you know, particularly some of the smaller banks. They're really focused on, on real estate now. And it's, you know, I, I guess my question to you is, what do you see as, you know, the future for banks, particularly when it comes to small business, small business loans? I mean, you know, banks, they're not very efficient there in general. They take a long time to, to approve a loan. Uh, often these businesses, you know, can't wait that long. And in general, they, they complain about the cost and they can't originate a loan, a small loan efficiently. And they've basically, you know, the sub $250,000 loan market has, really is being put up for grabs, it seems, by banks. So so do you think that the marketplace lenders are going to completely fill that gap? Do you think there's going to be, you know, partnerships where banks will basically outsource their small business lending operation for sub $250,000 loans to these platforms? How do you see it playing out? I think it's a great question. And, you know, I, I think there are both, you know, structural as well as cyclical reasons as to why banks are, are not able to meet the needs of small businesses today. And ultimately, to your point, I mean, online lenders certainly are capturing a greater and greater share of the market, but it's still a 
just the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a massive underserved market of both businesses that are, are and I think, I think online lenders are, are bringing more new applicants into the market as well. So there's quite a bit of value there. You know, certainly, as you mentioned, when we see bank partnerships, you know, banks themselves will innovate. They will, I think, bring in more technology. We see banks decreasing the branches, creating more of an online presence. I mean, I, I, I very much agree with what Larry Summers said at Lendit, which was that, you know, ultimately there's a massive opportunity here for online lenders to serve small businesses, and that will grow. The question is, I think, what happens with regulation? What happens with some of the, the structural issues long-term that make it so that online lenders have the ability to serve borrowers in, in a much better way today than what banks have? And I, I think some of the cyclical issues will change so that the home equity and, and, and other collateral sources for small business owners will, will come back over time Lenders' risk aversion will subside slightly. You know, there, there are different issues that I think will bring banks back into this market in a larger way directly. But ultimately, these major structural changes that have been there for 30 years, where community banks that were the primary source of lending to small businesses, have their numbers have halved mm-hmm. since 1985. And as a percentage of the banking assets, it's, it's minuscule. And so the fundamental shift is that that character-based local lending is just not there today in the way that it used to be. And online lenders are, from what we've seen, the solution to that, provided that they take a long-term approach and are tapping additional data and innovative ways so that they can serve that market long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see you know, quite a number of bank partnerships that we already have, and I think that'll just increase over time. But there's significant room for online lenders to create market share and go out and serve small businesses with badly needed services so that we can ultimately have a better functioning economy and we can see more job creation and growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, make, that makes sense. So before I let you go, I just have just, just one last question about your company. I mean, where, what, what, what does the future hold for CIM? Are you, are you really, are you focused in the US? I mean, there's obviously huge opportunities outside the U.S. as well, and you have a lot of experience outside the U.S. So tell us about what your long-term, you know, what like your long-term plans are. Sure. I mean, I think we, we are, there's so much happening so quickly in the marketplace lending sector that, to your point, it's very exciting what the, what the future holds in emerging and, and other markets. But the United States has a large and dire need for responsible and transparent small business lending. So that's really our, our, our focus. I think over time, as we see better sources of data expansion, there will be some very interesting opportunities abroad. And of course, with our backgrounds, we'll, we'll be in touch with them looking at that. But as far as we see it today, the United States is you know a two, three hundred billion opportunity in small business lending and something that is highly impactful and, and where we're very much focused at the moment. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, we'll, uh, I'll let you go. Really appreciate your, your time today, Jacob. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. It's a pleasure talking with you. Okay. See ya. Mm-hmm. Bye. 
You know, we've seen impact investing and social impact investing in the stock market for the last couple of decades. It's become quite popular. Some of the funds are, are really very large now. And uh, I think this sector, I mean, Jacob's obviously a trailblazer, and I, I really like to think and I, I believe that in this uh, industry, it's going to become more important as well. Now, I mean, I can foresee a time when you're really going to have, you know, digging into the details of the loans on the consumer side or the small business side, focusing on underserved areas potentially, focusing on underserved industries and people that are doing the most impact. And uh, I, I mean, whereas what Jacob's doing, I think, is a great first step. And I think he'd be the first person to say it's sort of not the final end play. But I think it's great that uh, he's brought this new awareness and approach to the industry. And I certainly wish him all the best. And that note, I will sign off. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you haven't done so and you like the show, or if you don't like the show, please go and give us an honest review on um, iTunes or Stitcher. Really appreciate the feedback and uh, let me know what you think. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.